0: Welcome Bible love, we are back and you're hearing this on a Thursday, but we're actually recording on a Wednesday, which happens to be the birthday of our very own Mary Balfour. And so for our prayer today, let us pray. Oh God, our times are in your hands. Look with favor, we pray on your servant, Mary Balfour, as she begins another year. Grant that she may grow in wisdom and grace and strengthen her trust in your goodness. All the days of her life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, thanks, Alan, for telling the world it's my birthday. You know, I don't hate that at all. I don't love attention at all around here. Um, No, I appreciate it. What a great way to start my birthday or have a birthday with two of my dearest friends. Of course, you all know Alan, and I am so, so, so thrilled to introduce you to the Reverend Alexis Carter-Thomas, my very dear friend here in Greenwood. Um, Alexis, oh my gosh, so talented, does so many great things, just a few things about her, She's a writer. She's a minister. She is a professor of Old Testament at Lander University. She is a consultant. Um, She's also one of my favorite people that ever walked the planet. Has so much goodness and love for the Lord. Um, Got her master's degree at Duke Divinity, so she's super smart. Um, And I one day was unpacking boxes in my new office here at Church of the Resurrection, and this fabulous woman walked through the door and. She has been my friend ever since. So I'm so grateful you're here. Um, We have spent a lot of time on her porch visiting and talking and growing in our relationship with God and each other. So thank you, Alexis, for being here. Um, It is time for a new book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. And so, um, I mean, Alan, yay, we are getting somewhere. We're finishing up, (laughs) Um, finally finishing up um, a few books and getting into something new. And we've asked Alexis to join us, to talk to us just about Deuteronomy and what it is and what's exciting and important um, about Deuteronomy. I asked Alexis to just think like we are her students in her classroom and tell us So thank you, Alexis, for being here. Thank you, Mary Balfour. Thank you, Alan, for having me. Happy, happy
2: birthday. And I'm so grateful to share the space with you, a space that's dear to you, and how much you, I get to hear how much you love this and look forward to this weekly. And I am also an avid listener of Bible love. So I count it an honor to join you today. Thank you.
1: Um, Tell us some of your overall arching thoughts about Deuteronomy and the importance of it.
2: Oh, Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy that comes from the Greek word, that means a second law. And that's what it is. Um, It's actually the only book that contains the term law Torah in the Torah. So um, here we are on the last book um, of the five known as the law um, in the Hebrew Bible and it is, it is profound and dynamic, and I have grown to love it. It's not a book I read much of my life um, prior to becoming um, a professor. And so thank you for your one generous introduction. I don't consider myself a like <laughs> um, scholar of the Old Testament, but I do really love it. And it's become a dear hobby to me. And Deuteronomy is one of those books, like I said, I didn't read early, but I've come to love the nuances and what it adds to my life personally and um, the way I have glimpsed God through it and what it adds to our lives corporately as followers of God. And so in this book of the second law, it's Moses's kind of farewell. It's um, a book of often like three speeches is the way we say it's divided up. There's some introductory material um, as it begins, Deuteronomy 1, one. These are the words that Moses addressed to all Israel on the other side of the Jordan. Well, Moses, we you know, did not make it, does not make it to the other side. So there are framing pieces that are added in later um, that help provide some texture to the book. And so we have some initial framing at the beginning and the end. But most of the content of Deuteronomy is in the chapters, um, what we call the book of the law or the scroll, which would have been like chapters 12 through 26. And so we have speeches here. We have um, laws and a different glimpse of God. And that's one of the things I love about Deuteronomy, that we get a different glimpse of God. And I think that um, what brings that kind of distinctness through the book of Deuteronomy is, Prior, to the books that we've read prior um, that are in the Torah are uh, third person. And Deuteronomy is this first person. And we have a lot of use. We have a lot of second person. You shall love the Lord. You shall obey. And so there's this like different sense of, um, I think, feeling in the way it's conveyed and emotion and rhetorical like brilliance that when people think of like the laws um People like me who've grown up in church or when they think, oh, Deuteronomy or Leviticus, I think it's often in this kind of language that we get from Deuteronomy of Moses's speeches of reminding them who their God is, like the beginning of this is what God, this is what Yahweh has done for you on this journey. This is how we get here. They're on the steps on the plains of Moab. Or Moab before they enter the promised land, before Joshua takes over. And so it's this reminder of this is who God has been. And then it ends with this um, these beautiful blessings and curses of like, this is who God will be, and this is your responsibility to this God.
1: Oh my god, I love that. I've never really thought of it like that. Have you, Alan?
0: No, not at all. This is basically all new to me, which what? says a lot about how much I paid attention at Old Testament class.
1: Right. did you wish Alexis was your Old Testament
0: teacher? <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Um, but I didn't really, I think those are things we miss. Like as someone who was like the fervent Sunday school goer and read it, it was often that book that's like, let's just get through it. It's part of the law. But um, Bible scholars focus on, I mean, I'll just say generally two key areas. There are other things to focus on, but I wanted to bring our attention to two key areas that I think shapes the book and my understanding and the way I teach this to um, my students. Um, what we get here in Deuteronomy is, one, we get um, God's love for people, for this particular people, but God's requirement of justice and righteousness. And we don't often often think of the law like that, but we have laws that we think of coming from Sinai um, at the mountain. But these particular laws on the steps of Moab have to do with the people that often were not thought about. They have to do with the poor. They have to do what it means to like leave behind things for the poor, um, food, uh, grain. It has to do with the orphans. It has to do with widows. It has to do with this emancipation of slaves. Like these are new laws that were not um, known prior. It has to do with Passover. Um, Passover is celebrated, um, historians believe, before the finding of the scroll in Deuteronomy. But it was more of a household um, celebration. In Deuteronomy, um, because of the words of the law, it becomes this festival. And so... I'm getting ahead of myself, but one of the key things is this uh, love for humanity. And why that's important in Deuteronomy is God reveals God's self as a lover of people and saying, you know, you people, you like Hebrews, if you are to be who I've called you to be, if you are a reflection of me, I love and I care about the needs, the humanitarian needs of people, so you will do likewise. And there's this sense that, The people are held to the standard of the way they treat their neighbors, the way they care about foreigners is required by a God who does likewise and whose image they are created in. So that's a huge part of Deuteronomy that we don't often glimpse before. The other part of that is you hear me talk about this main corpus of the scroll um, and the first naming of like, I believe it's in Deuteronomy 17 of the Torah, this law. Well, What's believed is this was composed and written at one point, but as Israel, the Northern Kingdom and Judah, the Southern Kingdom separated and the Northern Kingdom was taken over by the Assyrians, what happened is the scroll somehow makes its way down to Jerusalem and the seventh century under King Josiah. And so this story, these stories you'll get to in the narratives about Josiah and second Kings. But what I like, this is like the most fascinating part to me of Deuteronomy, um, besides the humanitarian God glimpses, is that the scroll makes his way to the South. And when Josiah is brought the scroll, he reads it aloud, which we're told um, in Deuteronomy, it's accounted that this law should be read to the people. But it's also causes what we call um, in academia, Josiah's reforms. Josiah's like, oh my goodness, God has said there should be a central place of worship, no high places, tear down the poles, go to the high places, you know, like destroy all the gods. And that was huge. Like we think of like the Hebrew people at this point, um, Israelites being um, monotheistic, but really scholars trace it back to like, this is the pivotal point that people had their little High places in the backyard where they were like killing their own goats and sacrificing sometimes to Yahweh, sometimes to the sun God, sometimes to the God of the Assyrians, right? Like they were at cover all your bases, like pray for rain. Also, you know, pray to Yahweh for rain, but pray to this other rain God. Um, And so there were these mix of gods, but when Josiah gets this, Josiah is like, Oh my goodness, this scroll has been preserved. God is speaking. Tear down all the high places. None of those places you cannot sacrifice outside of a central place. Deuteronomy doesn't name that as Jerusalem, but at that time, with the you know monarchy being in Jerusalem, Josiah is like Jerusalem is the place of the temple, and that's where sacrifices. So um, the way we describe it um, in biblical scholarship is like that it centralizes the worship of Yahweh. So this is the first time and as I said, the book is framed and later after exile, they believe these framing happens to like help people understand who will read it. Like, okay, Moses didn't write this wasn't here, but these are speeches as people remember it. This is how the you know book comes together. But what's fascinating is like Josiah like says like, no, no. Moses said this, this is what, how God wants us to live. This is how God wants us to celebrate Passover. This is how God requires us to honor the Sabbath. Um, God requires us to have this love for our neighbors and foreigners, and like to treat human beings with dignity. We are going to do it, and so those are the two like things that I really think that find the book.
1: So let's repeat those. So um, this human God of who is a lover of humans and respecting humans and wanting humans to treat each other fairly and good and justice. Okay. So that's, that's number one. And then this central place of worship, mm-hmm. so just what you said was fascinating. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh my gosh, I can't keep it all in my head. So that's why I wanted to come back and say, just so we really get those two. Now, would you not also say, isn't Deuteronomy one of the most quoted in the new Testament as well? Yep. So yes. like that's, I mean, to me that feels like a pretty important part as well. Yeah. And often the way it's quoted or even by
2: people in church, there are parts we miss of that, right? There, there are things we miss about, like, I think just in understanding those two parts of the context brings so much life, right? Illumination to the text of like, oh, we think of, um, one of the most significant parts of Jewish liturgy is the Shema, um, in Deuteronomy six, um, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, the sense of obey. And this opening with, um, I, Sometimes quote it wrong, but this the sense of what it means to not just love the Lord, but to obey. And that in Deuteronomy, part of the reason it's continually quoted for the people of God is that loyalty to God is tied up in obedience. There, you can't just love God. I should say, love and loyalty go together. Maybe that's how I say it. That you can't just say you love this God of Israel. You have to be loyal to this God. Hence the way you treat your neighbor and the way you worship and sacrifices being central. These are the ways you love God and that's how it shows up. Um, and so what does it mean
1: that um, let me say that really. Quickly. Well, I mean, let's break that down a minute. Yes. Go for it. Well, Alan, you want to say something?
0: <laughs> yeah. To me, I mean, that's the heart, right? I grew up Lutheran, right? And so they grace alone, faith alone, all of this. And so then you get the idea that, There's there's no role for us. God has done everything. God's grace is sufficient. Everything. But what I hear this love and this loyalty is a life is not changed until there's actually fruit of that change.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm not saying you know this is not works righteousness. But what I hear in Deuteronomy is is God is saying like there has to be evidence that you are the chosen people. There has to be evidence that you are the people of God. And that's not just because you say you are, or even that God says. You are, but that you lead a life that shows that you are.
1: Well, and I think we can so easily forget that in our current context, right? We're like, okay, love God, love God. I can do that. God loves me. We're all a child of God. Got it. But the loyal part of it, I think, is very significant and very important too. But do we think about that a lot? Like, how Mm -hmm. am I being loyal to God? How am I putting God first? How am I not putting my husband first, my children first, my house first? my job first, whatever. Mm. Um, not that long ago when my dad was on here, he admitted I fell in love with the church first before I fell in love with Jesus Christ. And that again, loyalty to something versus mm. loyalty to Jesus. Right. Mm. And I think that to me is super important. And I don't think about it enough. I think about the love, but I don't think about the loyalty. That might mm. be my question this week. How do I imply, you know, put both of those things in tandem and think about that when I'm thinking about my relationship with God? Mm. Yeah. Deuteronomy helps us with that, which is great. Yeah. And I
2: I even want when I think about what um your dad said and how people who fell fall in love with the church. Um what I think without jumping in like mapping Deuteronomy on is that when people embody this love of God based on their loyalty and how they treat their neighbors and how they treat strangers, then there's the love of God is communicated through other people's lives. Yes right? And so it's not just them going around quoting Deuteronomy. That wasn't, I'm sure what your dad, you know, Polk wasn't like, you know what, that church reads really great scripture. I think I want to, you know, they read the law well, but it's the sense of like, you know what, there's something about these people embodying and they're different from the people in this community I know, or different from people who maybe have allegiance in this sorority or fraternity. There's something that marks the people, right? And goes back to the Shema, this sense of liturgy that would have been read there in the temple and in synagogues that says, Hero Israel, I'm reading from Deuteronomy 6, um, 4 through 9. Hero Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord, let me say this again, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, alone which is often Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Take to heart these instructions with which I charge you this day. Impress them upon your children. Recite them when you stay at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your houses and gates. And this idea that, like, it's not about not, it's not about um, this legalistic, like not forgetting these words, right? But these words are tied to the person. And the work of God that forgetting them is to forget our own identity. Mm-hmm. And that's what Moses is getting at. Like the speeches are to say, like, I don't just want you like to get to the, you know, this is a new generation. Moses is like, I know that other generation died. I'm not going to make it over. We don't really fully understand what Moses did. But there's some sense of obedience. Moses is not going over this new generation. And Moses is saying, let me remind you of who you are based on what your ancestors went through. Right. And how God showed up for your ancestors. But something Alan said triggered this thought of um, Deuteronomy 9 and verse 6 says, know then that it is not for any virtue of yours that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess for you, a stiff-necked people. And there are these reminders in Deuteronomy like, it's not because you're so great, Israel. You know, it's nothing you did. You're not God's favorite. You know, and sometimes we've read it like that, or I've been in churches where it's like, this is why they're chosen. But throughout Deuteronomy, God's like, it's not even you. It's me. I'm I'm good. Right. And that's where that loyalty comes in. God's saying, I'm loyal. I have a steadfast love, you know, that we hear in the Psalms, the sense of steadfast love endures forever. We see that illustrated in the book of Deuteronomy. And so God's saying like, you know, Israel, you're really not that great. You stiff neck people, you know, you're disobedient. You doubt. I've done all of these things. I've given you water. I've protected your people, your ancestors in a wilderness. And they were still trying to figure out when is the manna coming? And are we going to die in this wilderness? And God's like, I was good then. And I will be good now. But I need you to be good. I'm
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because we talk a lot about the chosen people of Israel. You know, you're chosen, you're chosen, you're chosen. But we have been listening for the last four books of the Bible, right? About all this dang grumbling these people have been doing too, you know, which I, if I was in their place, I probably would be grumbling too. I mean, I, I understand that. But that part of, you know, we only want to say God is good when we think something good is happening. Right. But the reality is God is good all the time, even in the midst of the pain, even when the man is not there, even when the grumbling, you know, all of that. And so I'm really glad you brought that up because I think we do say, oh, the chosen Israelites, the chosen people, you know, and they are chosen. But it's God. really God who keeps them chosen. God who lifts them up. God who says, I'm going to love you. I think mm-hmm. that's not kind of what you're saying. Yeah. And how God's like,
2: even <laughs> in choosing. No, I'm sorry.
1: Go ahead. Mary. No, I said in your stiff necks.
2: Yeah. Mean... yeah. Like you don't deserve my love, right? Um, but like, I'm going to ch- keep choosing you and I need you to keep choosing me. And something that um, one of the last parts I'll note that I find that's really helped me um, have a different appreciation for Deuteronomy is even within the last in scholarship, maybe 60 years, there's this, um, scholars have found um, part of the archaeological finds have shown treaties that have to do with the culture surrounding um, Israel at this point. And so the Assyrians have treaties that are very similar. And the language in Deuteronomy is very similar, that Israel would have taken on language of its neighbors. One of the most like fascinating aspects is that even some of the ways, like the sense of like, a leader and a vassal, you know, like a this like different um, dynamics as far as like um, power dynamics and like who gives the law and who receives it. It comes from the way that God's making treaties with the people of, I will do this, but you do this, right? Or I will do this if you do this. So we see that throughout De- Deuteronomy. But what's fascinating is the thing we don't see in the treaties, we see almost every part, but in Deuteronomy, it's the treaty shifts that there is a reciprocity that in these like ancient Near East treaty forms, it was like, people, you better love me because I'm God. There's no reciprocity and God's like, I love you. I'm choosing you. I will be loyal to you. And so what shifts Deuteronomy is not just be loyal to me and love me. Through your loyalty, through justice, through caring for your neighbors, um, you know, through keeping this sense of sacrifice and worship and, you know, taking the sacrifices and leaving food for the poor and the orphan and the widow. It's It's not just that, but in that, I also love you. And that's what sets Deuteronomy apart from even its other, the um, where it's situated in its own culture at that time in the ancient Near East. That there is a God, there is a power, not just saying, do this for me and you owe this to me because you're this. It's saying, you know, like you're stiff-necked and my mercy is great towards you, but I also
1: love you. So I will be loyal back. Wow. I mean, keep on going. That was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you want to just like hang with us the whole uh, thing of Deuteronomy, Alan? What do you think? I told you you'd love. No,
0: this is awesome, and I was thinking the same thing. Let's just have her come back every time we get to a new book of the Bible. Um, uh-huh. Do you take my place?
2: You know. No, I love being with you. No, all. this
0: is so it has me thinking um, that that is somewhere that like Mary Balfour was saying, it's easy to get along when we think God is on our side. And we think because God's on our side, everything's going to be great Mm -hmm. and everything's going to be easy. And we've seen throughout that like the Israelites grumbling and all of that. And here, what you just said is God saying, I'm going to be loyal to you. Right. And so that assurance, you know, and I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that, that how we get in Deuteronomy and maybe how it plays out, but, Mm -hmm. but, God has always said God's going to hold up his end of the covenant, God's end of the covenant. And here, do we have a reiteration of that? Does this change their perception of that? Because it seems they've been grumbling because they don't know that God's going to do it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, no. Um, yeah, really wonderful thoughts about that. Um, sometimes I imagine what it would have been like to live during Josiah and to find this, to already have this idea of what it means to know God, right? And then to be like, What? We've been doing this, you know, like by the time you get to the kings, they've been doing this a while and be like, what? You know, like so and so, Sam's been over there sacrificing in his backyard all these years and like keeping the food because we're God's chosen. Oh, we should be sharing it with our neighbor like to have this like radical shift, right? Of like, oh, there's a different set of expectation. We're really comfortable and now Josiah's saying we can't do this and what? Like God requires what of us? And before you know, as Moses is wrapping up the speeches, Moses is clear, like, even the curses and blessings are in ancient Near East in other ways, but they're still there. Of saying, um, <laughs> like, even just the reminders were, you know, near the end of Moses' speeches in 29, and Moses summoned all Israel in chapter 29. It opens with this You have seen all that the Lord did before your very eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his courtiers and to the whole earth, the wondrous feats. Be- he basically continues to rehearse the story, right? Like, don't forget the accident. Don't forget God's goodness, right? Because you stiff neck people, you get to a place, you're headed to the, if you forgot in the wilderness, you will probably forget in the promised land, right? Like a word. Like if you forgot God's goodness in the wilderness, like we say, well, when things are better, I won't. But it's like, no, you probably will forget in the promised land. And so Moses is continually reminding them, right? And so then um, one of my favorite parts is like as it's closing in chapter 30, near the end of Moses' final speech, it's part of the one, you know, what we quote. I'll start, I'll read a couple verses. Verse 11, surely this instruction or this law, Torah, which I enjoin upon you this day is not too baffling for you nor it's beyond your reach. Like I can picture there being some dramatic here. This isn't too baffling. This isn't too much. Y'all are dramatic, right? It is not in the heavens that you should say, who among us can go up to the heavens and get it down and impart it to us that we may observe it? No, neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who among us can cross the other side of the sea and get it for us? No, the thing is very close to you in your mouth and in your heart to observe it. Like, Moses is like, I've just recounted this history. I've given you the laws. I've told you how to treat the orphans. I've told you what to do with slaves and how to emancipate. The, don't act like this is a huge revelation that you don't know how it is in your heart. It, you know, like I, you were supposed to put it on your doorpost, on your forehead. And so this isn't too hard. See? Verse 15 says of chapter 30, I set before you this day, life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I command you this day to love the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his laws and his rules, that you may thrive and increase and that the Lord, your God may bless you in the land that you are about to enter and possess it. But if your heart turns, so there there are these like clauses, right? Like, but if your heart turns, so there's these expectations and he goes on to say, choose life. If you and your offspring would live by loving the Lord, your God, heeding his commands and holding fast, he's saying, God's loved you. I've just given you a book of speeches and told you the Lord's taking care of your ancestors, um, how the Lord has um, preserved you and brought you to this point. And though I can't keep going with you, God will go with you. But remember, God has some expectations. You know, there's blessing and curses. So choose life. So there's this push. Sorry, Ellen, I got on my tangent that I don't even know that I answered your question. But I got really excited about like, this is the end of Moses' speech. Like, he's telling you, choose life.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Go
2: ahead, Ellen. Sorry, I got on that tangent.
0: No, I think the Holy Spirit was involved in that.
1: Absolutely. I know. Don't you just, everybody, let's go sign up for Dr. Thomas, almost yeah. Dr. Thomas's uh, class at um, Lander University. Alan and I might just sneak in sometime <laughs> um, and be on the wall. Um, I wish I would have had as an undergraduate, I love my Old Testament professor, but as an undergraduate, I wish I would have had the opportunity to learn from someone like you who is showing us over and over and over, like these words, we can interpret them however we want to and how it can feel one way or the other. But really all this repetitive is for a reason, right? Moses is coming back and going, You've been grumbling, you've been grumbling, you've been grumbling, but really it's in your heart. You know this stuff, which you were just saying a minute ago. Like, so quit your grumbling. It's here. This is no new news. God loves you and you gotta love him back and you gotta be loyal and you've got to do this. Mm. to be the kingdom that God wants us to have. It's yeah, great. My last note that came when, that
2: you reminded me of, um, as I was reading those, one of the things I moved by in Deuteronomy that I've forgotten until um, I picked up my notes again um, to prep for this was like, oh yeah, that's, Part of the beauty of it is we talked about it's it's a lot of, we shift from this third person, right? And there's a lot of you shall do this. You shall love the Lord. You shall obey this. You, you know, you're standing before the Lord. But um, scholars note how part of what makes Deuteronomy distinctive is that even though there's this new generation, they see themselves and Moses encourages them to see themselves as the people who God gave the commandments to at Sinai, that God delivered. They don't just think about it as their ancestors. They see the promises that God made to the people before them. Like they see to the patriarchs, to the land, that that's just not, oh yeah, God promised that to my grandmother or God promised that to my great grandfather, that the Israelites are to see those promises to them. So part of the you of, you have seen the Lord. And what the Lord did in the eyes of the lands of Egypt, what the Lord did to Pharaoh, they didn't see it. They weren't there. But part of the distinctiveness of Deuteronomy is like the Lord took care of your enemies, and I'm sure the people are like the Lord. Well, those were my parents' enemies, but it's it's an invitation for them to say like, no, this is not just your parents' God or your grandparents or great grand. This is your God, and so well, and these it's
1: all the same God. It's we're all all yeah. people of the same God. You know. Yeah which is a great reminder of us too. Like when we think about the Bible and the things that happen, it's, it's the same God it's millions of years, thousands of years. It's the same God that has loved us over and over and over and over through all these trials, through Moses, his time, and through the trials that we might be going through right now.
2: Yeah. And that's what it makes me think about Mary Balfour. When you asked about with this being quoted and we hear so much pieces of Deuteronomy, even in our Text and liturgy, but part of that is like, I think there's something about these words are for you. Like he said, like, if they were stiff-necked and forget, so are we, you know, that hasn't changed, right? But that God is still the same God and good and merciful, right? And wants loyalty, requires our loyalty. So what does it mean that part of repeating these these laws in different ways or these words of God and being reminded is that we too need to hear them, that they weren't just for the Israelites, but they're for us.
1: Best birthday present I could get so- <laughs> of Alexis Carter-Thomas. Aww. Any parting words from you too? Thank you, Alexis, for being here. I mean, I think you're pretty much signed up for... <laughs> <laughs> I get to come back. ...heads of the Bible Love podcast. What do you think, Alan? Don't we need Alexis back often?
0: Absolutely. I think if we... You know, Bishop Cole is now the official Episcopal visitor of Bible love. I think you are now the official adjunct professor of Bible love.
1: Thank you. And she's going to be, she's going to be, um, a PhD doctor very soon. And so we'll, we'll awesome. give you an official doctorate of Bible love. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that looks like. That cool. um, thank, thank
2: you. Thank you. I've enjoyed this.
1: i um, really, really, really grateful. Um, listeners thank you uh next week um i think we have another guest we have like three guests in a row this is exciting um and we're going to be digging more into deuteronomy um i bet alan will put up a reading plan for us for deuteronomy some um some commentaries some things that might be helpful and we're looking forward to going through this journey with you remember as always we love you but most importantly god bless